The following resource is by CBC Mokopani. For more resources like this, check out our website at www.christbaptistmokopani.com. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, I was talking to uh, my old pastor some months ago, and he is very good at talking about end time themes and about what's happening and relating what's happening in the world today and it's fairly balanced and stuff but it's not my cup of tea and I just told him I said I stick to the basics I teach the basics everywhere I go in Africa because I find so many people don't understand the basics and so for me it has always been what God has laid on my heart not to get very complicated in what I preach but to keep it simple and just to share basic truths with people. I've preached in um, like uh, many of these black churches um, around uh, in Walareng and those places and when I teach these basic truths these young men that stand up and preach to the congregation and bring word every Sunday say we've never heard these things and I look at them and I think but how do you preach if you don't even understand the basics because they listen to these TV evangelists and they never dig into the word I was at one meeting one day and I spoke to them and I said <coughs> How many of you, there were 30 young guys there. I said, how many of you have quiet times on a regular basis? Maybe one or two put up their hand. They didn't have quiet times. And they were wanting to, and they had had a conference recently about being filled with the Spirit. Because they thought that being filled with the Spirit was the answer to their questions and their struggles with temptation and all of these different things. Now, sure, he is. But their word content was so poor that they didn't stand a chance against the devil, which was very sad. So today I'm bringing a very basic message and it's one that you've probably heard in various forms. <coughs> there we go. Uh, uh, before. So, um, it's from John 15. And there's four things that God would want to teach us from the scripture. I will read the scripture to you from the New American Standard Version. Uh, from John 15, 1 to 11. Jesus speaking to his disciples. And this is just sort of like the conference that he was having with his disciples from about John 13 to 17, where he's speaking to his disciples before he heads to the cross. Uh, and all of that, that entailed just before that happened. And it says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, 
As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and they cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So I think Jesus is giving us almost like a, like a, a way in which to live joyfully in God. And He's telling us that without Him we can do nothing. So the whole purpose of the Christian is to abide in Christ. And what, before we start, let's just pray. Father, we uh, come before you and we just lift up um, this message to you this morning and uh, we pray that you would speak to us and teach us the things that you would have us to know and that you would uh, um, um, concrete these things into our hearts and our minds and that we would return to them often so that we can... Uh, be established in our faith and in our walk with you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the key words that we find in the, in the Bible and especially in the New Testament is the word new. Okay, so the Bible speaks of a new heart. It speaks of a new spirit, a new creature, a new covenant, a new birth, a new man a new life, a new Jerusalem, and many other wonderful things new. And in the, this chapter that we've just read was one of the last messages that Jesus delivered to his disciples before his death on the cross. And he states, supplies, or gives us an, an answer to an unstated question. What is new for a Christian? I remember many times when I was still very young as a Christian, I used to struggle and ask God, but how am I supposed to feel? How am I what am I supposed to know? How am I supposed to understand this? So in our hearts, and God has answered many of those questions. So for us as believers, we need to cry out to God with questions. <coughs> because in God's word, we will find the answers. Amen. So, so what do I have now as a Christian that I did not have before? And so Jesus uses an illustration from nature and he tells the Christian that everything is about the question or the matter of relationship. Our relationship with him is of the utmost importance. 
I've been going through church history and one of the things that was very evident in the Catholic Church was that there was no relationship with God. It was all about liturgy and the way that they did things and there was no life in it. And yet Jesus is using an illustration which will point us to what it means to have life in him. Amen. And that is of the utmost importance in our lives. So it's not about rules or regulations or religious ritual. It involves simply a personal relationship between two people. Jesus and the individual Christian. And he uses the illustration between the vine and the branches. He declares that I am the vine and that the Christian is a branch on that vine. And so the same kind of close attachment of the branch to the vine must exist between the Christian and his relationship with the Lord. Amen. And if you take the branch from the vine or you cut it off or pull it off, what happens to the vine, to the branch? It shrivels. You know that little song that says, um, what's that song with the kids about quain, quain, quain? Yeah, if you want to groei, groei, groei. Lees jou Bible, bid elke dag. Maar as jy nie, sal jy quain, quain, quain. Well, that's the truth illustrated in that song. And it's a very simple truth. <coughs> So just as the vine and its branches have an inner relationship in which the inner sap of the vine flows through the branch and gives life, the Christian should have a life-receiving relationship with Jesus. Amen. And this relationship should be regarded as absolutely essential to have a vital relationship or walk with God. Amen. So, in this verse, Jesus tells us what's new for Christian, and there's four things we're going to look at quickly. And each of them actually is a sermon in itself. But we're just going to look at the four and just uh, put you on the right track that you can go look up these things and be aware of them as you work through the Gospels and as you work through the epistles. Amen. So, the first thing is that the Christian has a new position in life. Six times in the first seven verses of John 15, Jesus uses the phrase, in me, to describe the new position of the Christian. And so this Preposition in is used by Jesus about 30 times in the 14th and 15th chapters of the Gospel of John. And it reaches its highest use when it's coupled with the pronoun me, in me. So we are in Christ. We have a new position in Christ. And when you read 
the books of the New Testament, you find the phrase in Christ occurring over and over and over again. In Paul's letters alone, the phrase in Christ is used over 164 times. To define the Christian's new position. <coughs> so when we understand this phase, it becomes the power and the joy of every new believer. Amen. So can you imagine anybody saying to you, you're in Nelson Mandela. Or you're in Abraham Lincoln. You couldn't even imagine that because it's not true. But when we become born again <laughs> and God works in our lives, He puts us in a new position. And so, <coughs> to help us understand what it means, we need to go back to a verse of Scripture in in. 1 Corinthians 15.22, where there's a contrast between our old position and our new position. So your old position was in Adam. And your new position is in Christ. And the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15.22, As in Adam all die, and even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Note the two prepositional phrases in Adam and Christ. So every person on earth is either seen as in Adam. When Adam fell, we fell. When Adam sinned, we sinned. We are in Adam. And so every person without Christ is lost and in Adam. That's our old position. That's where you were before God got hold of you. And he gripped you and put you into the kingdom of his son. Amen. So these two men are representative men of history, Adam and Christ. So every person is represented by these two people and it's a matter of position. You are either in Adam or Christ. So as I've just mentioned, to be an Adam means that you fell into sin when Adam fell into sin. You became lost when Adam became lost and came under judgment when Adam came under judgment. A matter of position. So the most important thing about you is your position. So the question for you then is, are you sure that you are in Christ? If you're not sure, we can help you. But it's something that has to become a real certainty in your life. Amen. <coughs> so if you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit has worked and reproduced redemptive history of Christ in your life. You have become born again. So you have been crucified with Christ in Galatians 2.20. You have been buried with Christ in Romans 6, verse 3 and 4. You've been raised up with, together with Christ in Ephesians 2, 6. And if you uh, 
And you've ascended with Christ and are seated with Him in heavenly places. In Ephesians 2.6. So, are we experientially and doctrinally aware of these truths, of your position, your new position in Christ? Because it will make a difference to how you experience and how you walk with God. Are you with me? Okay, that's one of my favorite sayings. Are you with me? <laughs> so, in 2 Corinthians 5.17 it says, <coughs> Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we are secure. We have become a new creature. And because we are in Christ, there is no condemnation. Amen. So that is something that is important. But the crucial thing in both verses is, that you are in Christ. So I remember uh, uh, there's a story about a slave in the US that was living in the state of Missouri uh, on the Mississippi River and as it would be that there was a peninsula that stuck out into the river like this. And at the end of this peninsula was where this slave had his hut and where he would go home every night and where he would stay. Now, on the opposite side of the river was the state of Illinois. Missouri was a slave state. Illinois was a free state. So one night when this guy went to sleep, the river flooded its banks and it cut this peninsula off from Missouri. And when this guy woke up in the morning, by law, when this peninsula was cut off from Missouri, it became a part of the state of Illinois. So now he was living in a free state instead of a slave state. And so often we don't realize that we're living in freedom or we have freedom in Christ because we're still living because of the old man and the old nature that has its hold on us. And we refuse to begin adapting to the new life that we have because we're so used to what's familiar. But this old guy now had to spend the rest of his life adapting to his newfound freedom. One minute he was a slave, the next second he was free. And he had to learn what it meant to be free. And that's what happens when we begin to understand what it means to be in Christ. Amen. <coughs> so, 
So when we are in Christ and we've been transplanted out of Adam into Christ, we must learn that we are now surrounded by Christ, separated unto Christ, sheltered in Christ, and supplied by Christ. But suppose his mentality still retains the awareness of his old position in Adam. And I think there's many Christians that struggle with it. They can't break away from their old position in Adam. And so we have Christians in the church that are struggling still with prejudice and racialism and unforgiveness and bitterness and anger and all kinds of things which are representative of the old nature. They are not representative of the new nature. And so these things will make a difference in our lives. Amen. And so we need to trust Christ that we begin to understand what it means to be in Christ. So the second thing then that Jesus tells us as a Christian is that you have a new possession in life. In John 15.4, Jesus uses another innocent-sounding little phrase that opens up lots of things for us, and that phrase is, I in you. So you have a new possession. Christ is living in you. Amen. That's incredible. Don't you find that many times when people pray, it's almost as if they're praying to God up there somewhere? In heaven? Well, he is in heaven. But he's living in you. John 17, verse 4. <laughs> and the scriptures that uh, um, were used the other day. Oh, I've lost my scripture. But, John 14, 21 says, <coughs> 23 says, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, you will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our... What? Home, abode in him. So where's God's home? It's in you. God is not far. He's right here. And Brother Lawrence, a, a monk who tried to reform some of the, the, the Catholic Church back in, oh, way back, 14th century maybe. <coughs> he said that we need to practice the presence of God. Now I tell many people, when you're in the toilet, God is there. When you're in the shower, God is there. When you sneak off to do something wrong, God is there. Why? Because He's the anchor of your soul that's been taught to us in Hebrews. So when you do things that is not pleasing to God, He is there. He is watching you. He is listening to you. He's experiencing you. Just as much as He is when you are doing it right and you are walking in the Spirit. Amen. So practice the presence of God and know that He is with you. Tell yourself, 
Jesus is walking with me now. Why? Because he lives within me. <coughs> so in verse 5, speaking of the believer, Jesus said, I am in him. And what a crazy thought that God lives in us. In John 1, uh, 12, it says, As many as received him, to them he gave the power to become sons of God. Amen. Received him. When you receive him, he comes and makes his abode within you. In Colossians 1.27, it speaks of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. In you. That's so amazing to me. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, Christ lives in me. So, the presence of Christ in the life of a believer is the test of eternal salvation and eternal life. Amen. You must know that He is in you. In 1 John 5.12, the Apostle John wrote, He that hath the Son has life, but he that doesn't have the Son does not have life. So, Jesus actually lives in the born-again believer. So, there's a combination of I am Christ in me and I, and I am in Christ. So, how can we illustrate this? Well, if you, take a, uh, if you have a bowl of water and you take a sponge and you put it in the water, the water is in the sponge and the sponge is in the water. Right? No. It's quite simple. You know, God didn't make it too complicated. We've just complicated it in our minds. <laughs> and if you see a bird flying in the air, the bird is in the air and the air is in the bird. Right? <coughs> and if you take a piece of metal that's quite cold, you put it in the fire, soon the metal is in the fire and the fire is in the iron. Just grab it at the end and you will discover that there is something about that piece of metal that is hot. And that is what should happen in our lives is that because Christ is in me and I am in Christ, people should begin to see something in your life on a consistent level, basis, that there is something different about you, about your relationships, about different things, um, about the Christian life. They will be able to see the life of Christ in you, right? They will be able to see the Holy Spirit at work in us. Hopefully. If not, then there's some repentance that maybe needs to take place. <coughs> so, with these illustrations that we've given you, there's nothing forced. 
about these things that we have been talking about. And, and yet it might take some time for an observer to become aware of it. So the entire Christian life may be accurately viewed in a series of realities. Jesus recognized by me, Jesus received by me, Jesus residing in me, Jesus reigning over me, Jesus reproduced in me, Jesus released through me, and Jesus realized by others because of me. That's what it means to be in Christ and Christ in you. Amen. So can others see on a consistent basis? <coughs> and it's often not the people that are distant from you that can see Christ in you. It's those that are closest to you. Those that you work with, your husband, your wife, your children. Are you with me? Your parents. They will know. Or do they see the old rebellious you? When I became a Christian, me and my dad, before I became a Christian, we would fight around every turn. It was horrible. It was totally horrible. And this is just a rabbit trail and advice for teenagers or young people who struggle with their parents. And when I became a Christian, me and my dad continued to fight. Oops. Is that right? Huh? No. It wasn't right. What happened? Well, the Holy Spirit made me attend that I had transferred my rebellion spiritually. And now I began to preach to my parents, not in love, but still in anger. Not because I wanted to be a great child or have peace with my parents, but I wanted to see them change. And then it, the Holy Spirit made me aware that I just need to repent of that and just leave them be. Just love them and care for them. And that's what I did. And the whole relationship changed because God began my dad began to see Christ in me. Are you with me? So it's really important. This is, has a, such a practical outworking in our lives when God is in us. Amen. <coughs> so the real secret of the Christian life is somebody else living in the Christian desiring to produce his life in terms of the personality of the individual. So God's not going to make you into something totally different. He's going to use your personality and the way you are, and he'll even improve on your personality because it was fallen, right? And so he wants to make you into somebody that's better. But he won't change the essence of who you are except your sinful nature. And he will make you into a person that people can see Christ in you. 
So you have the person who created all things, Colossians 1.16, living in you, and holds all things together, Colossians 1.17, actually living inside. So he is the cement that consolidates and holds your life together, right? And that's what we want. <laughs> so then we become a vessel of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. And God helps us to live the life that he wants us to live. Now we all know about the great golf players. Ernie Els and all of these guys and Tiger Woods, they've all won these big championships. And some of us might think that we're golfers, like Lucas. <laughs> and a few people that I know. <laughs> but, you know, and we all have this desire to be good at what we do. But just say, Ernie Els came up to you and he says, oh, I'm playing in the... Uh, in the Augusta in Georgia uh, in next week I want you to play but I want you to play as me and you said well I don't think so I don't think I'm going to get anywhere so he says no don't you worry you just pitch up and I'll pitch up and we'll see so when you pitch up he pitches up and he, by some strange method or whatever he disappears into you and suddenly you grab that golf stick with confidence and you line up your tee, you smack it down the fairway, second one onto the green, third one into the hole. Why? Because the expert is living his life through you. Amen. <coughs> That's why it's so important, excuse me. Um, that we that we live a life of submission and a life of yieldedness to Christ. Amen. It's the times when we're not yielded and we're not in submission to Christ, that's when we begin to live in the old man or the old nature again. And what does that produce? Nothing. Nothing good anyway. Amen. Except that you have to go and say, I'm sorry again. How many times have you said, I'm sorry? I've said it many times to many different people. And so we want the expert to totally live out his life within us. Amen. So number three, we have a new product in life. Six times in the first eight verses of John 15, Jesus uses the word fruit. In verse five, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. This is to be the new product of the Christian's life. Amen. So I don't know about you, but I believe I've produced fruit in my life because I believe this thing. I believe I've, I've, I've seen many churches planted up in Africa. 
I've seen many leaders trained who have gone on to plant churches and to train other leaders. I've seen some changes in my own life that are positive and, 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 and good. And, and it's amazing to realize that you can... And there's a saying that says God takes earthly zeros and makes them into heavenly heroes. You know? And I think that that is true. That God comes alongside us and we think that, hey man, I'm nothing. And when we read scripture and we see what God wants from us, it seems impossible. But if we yield to Him and we submit to Him and we want to obey Him, we will see things happen in and through our lives that weren't possible before that. And it's just because of Him in me. And I in Him, there's no other place to be. But we need to bear fruit. And if we're not bearing fruit, we need to ask, why am I not bearing fruit? Because Jesus says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear fruit. So it's not something that you force. I worked with a man <coughs> that whenever he sensed the direction of God, he would force the issue. And it was always like, like there was like something wrong, if you know what I mean. There was like always hassles and, and fighting and just because he wasn't remaining in Christ. And, and so we have different areas that we build, we have fruit in our lives. But it needs to be the new product in your life. Paul said in Romans 7, 4, fruit unto God. We bear fruit unto God. Amen. So there are four levels or grades of fruit bearing suggested in the verses of our text. There is no fruit in verse 2. And then there is fruit or some fruit in verse 2. And then there is more fruit also in verse 2. And finally, in verse 5, there is much fruit. So some people bear no fruit. Why? Well, I can't answer that. But I can only answer it for me when I'm not bearing fruit in a certain area. But we all need to go to God and, 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 and ask Him, Lord, am I bearing fruit in my life? You know? <laughs> and in verse 8, Jesus said, Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So it is frightening and fascinating. So we know that we're dependent on Him. But this also means that Christ is dependent on you. Now that doesn't fit in with our, with our Calvinistic theology, but, but just bear with me. 
Just as the vine depends on the branch to bear its fruit, so Jesus depends on the Christian to bear his fruit. Amen. Aurelius Augustine, Augustine touched on this truth many centuries ago when he said, Without Christ we cannot, and without us Christ will not. So we need to be available. Remember, Christian, Jesus is depending on you, and he's serious about it. So what is fruit? <laughs> fruit is the result of overflowing life. When a branch receives all the sap necessary to meet its own need, extra sap will go to produce fruit, right? So we need to remain healthy as a branch and abide in Christ so that we can receive all that is necessary so that we will be healthy so that we can bear fruit. So the extra life bursts forth in the form of fruit. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I've come that they might have life and that they might have it abundantly. So one translation says, and that they might have it with a surplus. Amen. So if Jesus uses the grape vine and its branches to illustrate our relationship with him, a, a grape uh, vine is to produce fruit. Amen. And some vines produce more fruit than others. And so on. But when you look at when I drive down from um, uh, Nailstrom uh, to Varambat, I see, or before there, I see all those grapes, or I drive up to Groblasdal and I see all those vines. And when I drive at the right time of the season, they're full of grapes. Because the, the, the farmer, the husbandman, because remember, God is the God the Father is the vine dresser. Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches. And so God will prune the vine so that it bears the fruit that he wants it to bear. Now I remember hearing um, someone teaching on the vine and said, if you don't cut certain um, branches off the vine, they will go to the ground. And there they will stick out suckers, sucker roots. And they will just go across like this and they will bear an abundance of foliage, but very little fruit. So God will prune our lives and take away the things that will hinder the production of fruit <coughs> so that you can bear more fruit. So if there's things in your life that you are holding on to, that is not pleasing to God and you know it's not pleasing to God but you just hold on to it anyway well it's going to hinder you from producing fruit amen so let's just allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives to remove anything and I guess it's you could call it sanctification where he works constantly in your life to 
to remove things and, 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 and just understand the pruning process never stops. And sometimes when you look at a pruned plant, when the season has passed and the winter has come, and you look at that vine and you think, this has looked so ugly. How is it possible that this very plant will produce such an abundant um, 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 harvest of grapes? But it will. Because the vine dresser knows what he's doing when he prunes the branches. And when God takes something away, even if it's good in your life, God knows. There are things that I am doing that I never would have wanted for myself. I've been in ministries that I would never have wanted for myself if I had the ability to choose. But I've allowed him to prune those things so that his life can work through me. And then I see what he has done through me and I go like, wow, if I'd have held on to that, I would never have gotten to this place. Are you with me? So if there's branches that you are fond of in your life, allow him to prune it. Do you know what I mean? It's like we're a living sacrifice. We're like, we're plants, but we're not. And we must trust the Lord to remove certain things in our lives. <laughs> so, and God knows how to make us spiritually healthy. Amen. You don't, actually. You don't really know what's best for you. That's why it says, abide in me. Because it's the life of Christ in me that produces the fruit that he wants to produce. And it happens in family, it happens with your friends, it happens at work, it happens anywhere. Amen. And so, the last thing I'll mention on the fruit is that fruit has the flavor of the vine that bears it. Amen. And the Christian is to have the flavor of the Christ life in me. There needs to be something that people can see and to experience. And remember, fruit is never for you. It's always eaten by somebody else. You never see a, a grapevine eating its own fruit. Or an apple tree, it's for you or for somebody else. So God produces fruit in you to be a blessing to somebody else. Amen. And so we need to allow him just to do that. <laughs> okay, so there are several categories of fruit in the New Testament. Um, there's character fruit. And that's mentioned in Galatians 5, 22 to 23. Um, and these fruit is, you know, love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, meekness, and all of these different things. Um, 
But it's interesting to note that three are developed towards God, three are developed towards people, and three are developed towards the believer himself. Can I maybe try and explain that? <coughs> but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. That's what God does in your life. You can't automatically make that happen. So when, we, um, when God works that in our lives, um, it means that we're in right relationship with God. And then patience, ah, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness is what is produced towards other people. We have to be uh, kind, we have to be patient and kind and good towards other people, right? But the third area is towards yourself. <coughs> that things that you need to do. You need to be faithful, you need to be gentle, and you need to exercise self-control. Lauren Cunningham said that the leader's number one quality is self-control. And so we exercise these things towards other people. So there's character fruit. So God wants to develop your character. And God has spent many years developing my character and he's still busy with it. And then there's convert fruit where you lead other people to Christ. Amen. And this fruit is suggested in John 15, 16, where Jesus said, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained that you should go and bring forth fruit, that your fruit should remain. Amen. So the greatest thing that we can do is lead others to Christ, and hopefully that they would remain. The churches that we plant and uh, the evangelism that we do, the converts, the churches and all of that would remain and continue to grow in the Lord. <coughs> and in this little verse we have our great commission little scripture or, or word that says go. So we give that a little bit of attention. So one does not need to go to bear the fruit of Christian character but one must go to win other people to Christ. Amen. So if you don't actively try to win people to Christ, <coughs> how can you share the gospel with them? You can't. Do you know what I mean? When William Carey went to India, and he said, but they haven't heard, one of the elders stood up and said, well, let God evangelize them. Well, God ain't going to do it. He's going to use you. You know? And so we went, and many Indians I see when you go to their churches in India, they have some recognition of William Carey and those guys that were the early pioneers to that heathen nation. You know? Because they really did go and lay down their lives uh, in that place. And then finally we have a new purpose. 
And this uh, is defined in our passage by the word abide. And I mean, I think God has made it easy uh, in, a, in a certain way. It's like all you have to do is abide, to abide in Christ. It's not like you have to do anything special except abide. If you abide in me and I abide in you. So that is your total responsibility as a Christian life. Just keep your relationship with God square and right. Amen. And He will take care of the rest because it will come naturally in your life as He lives His life through you. We can spend a, a lifetime resisting God in certain areas of our lives. But I wouldn't advise that. So to abide in Christ is to deliberately set aside my own merit, my own wisdom, my own strength, my own resources in order to draw all from Him. So I'm to stay zeroed in on Christ at all times, drawing the very vitality of life from Him. Amen. Now we all know what a sewing machine is, right? At the one end you have the working part. That needle that goes up and down. That's, that can create any amount of things. Ne? So on the other end you have the, 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 the source of power. The plug that goes in. What happens to this thing, the needle, when you pull the power out? It stops working. So we need to realize, if we abide in Christ, we have the power to do all that He would require of us. Amen. And so we must trust Him to do that. So don't pull the plug in any way by allowing things in your life that would hinder you from fulfilling that which he would want for you. And just in, in summary, or uh, with, a, with a verse, it says in 1 John 2, 28, And now, little children, abide in Christ, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed at his coming. So then we have a new purpose for our entire life, is just to abide in Christ. Amen. How do we do that? Obedience. Allow Him to prune us. Prayer. Spending time in the Word. Fellowshipping with one another as believers. <coughs> and so may, as we experience our new position, our new possession, our new product and our new purpose, we must trust the Holy Spirit to teach us and reveal to us the vast riches that are ours because we are new creatures in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Now, Father, we just ask you to help us to understand these four 
things that are a reality in our lives, that we have this new position in Christ, we have this new possession, Christ in us, and a new product, fruit, unto you, and a new purpose to abide in Christ. Help us to understand these things fully in our lives, Lord, that we may bear much fruit and glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.